This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Hello, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, to the first show of 2023. This is a place for inspiration and information as we work to keep it together while parenting our tweens and teens. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am your fearless host, positive discipline trainer, space holder coach, and the adolescent lead at Sproutable. Also, mama to a nearly 20-year-old daughter and 17-year-old son, and I'm walking right beside you on this path of raising our kids with positive discipline and conscious parenting. And it's messy. It's messy for me, just like it's messy for you. This show is meant to be a resource for you. I work hard to keep it real, transparent, and authentic. And I do that in hopes that you, listener, feel seen and supported through the conversations that I'm having. Sharing truly is caring. If you love today's show, please pass the link around, snap a screenshot and post it on your socials or text it to your friends. Together, we can make an even bigger impact on families around the world. I'm so glad that you're here. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. I'm really excited to introduce you to my guest today. Casey McGuire-Davidson is a life and sobriety coach and host of a top 100 mental health podcast, the Hello Sunday podcast for sober, curious women and gray area drinkers. Casey helps busy women quit drinking and creates lives they love without alcohol. She's a wife, a mom, a practical dreamer, retired corporate ladder climber, recovering people pleaser, and ex-red wine drinker who's been known to crawl into bed at 9 p.m. and whisper, don't worry, you're still a badass to herself. I love that. Hi, Casey. Welcome to the show. Hi, Casey. I love, we have the same name and I'm very We excited have the same name and we both spell it right. Yes. I'm so excited that you're here too. Um Yes, I'm so excited to share your story with my community and have the conversation that we're about to have. I think it's really important, especially this month, January. Let's start off, though, talking about your story of how you got into doing the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
you know, as it mentioned in my bio, I spent a good 20 years being, you know, a self-described red wine girl. You know, I started drinking in college, which so many of us do, if not earlier. And I loved it. The minute I kind of did it, I loved it. And I went to a school that was a big keg culture, you know, and so I drank a lot in college. I played on the women's rugby team and I still studied hard, got really good grades. All well, That's good because I drank a lot in college and did not study hard oh, okay. or get good grades, but carry yeah. on. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and I graduated and I became a management consultant and found it really, really stressful and drinking at night in my basement apartment while eating Lucky Charms because I had no idea how to cook. Somehow felt sophisticated, which looking back is ridiculous. And, you know, I just always drank and I kind of moved what I was drinking with sort of the phase of life I was in, you know, it was kind of a signifier. So in college, it was keg stands and all that stuff and beer bongs, right? Totally. And in my early 20s, it was cocktails out at the bar and then, you know, wine with my boyfriend I lived with in Seattle and then dinner parties and then the wine mom culture. And the whole time I was like climbing the corporate ladder. I was director at Fortune 500 companies. I've been with my husband since we were 23. And I drank a bottle of wine a night for many, many, many years. And the weird thing is for a very long time, I didn't think much of it. And, you know, it progresses. So maybe I drank three glasses a night and then four and then a bottle and then wanted more. But I was always pretty much like, an every night drinker. I kind of thought that's what adults did with dinner or a happy hour or you name it. And so I was, you know, a long time oblivious to why I woke up at three in the morning and felt so anxious. And I knew when I had a hangover, it was drinking related, but I didn't have any idea what all the other health impacts were or mental health and physical. And then for a while, I was kind of worried about my drinking, right? You know, if you drink a lot, you kind of know every time you forgot a conversation you had the night before, or your husband makes some kind of a comment to you or a girlfriend. And, you know, once you get into your mid 30s with kids, it's not quite as cute anymore. But like, no one said anything specific to me. No one ever told me I needed to stop drinking. But it was sort of this battle for years of like really trying to control and make rules about when I drank and how much I drank with the very specific goal of like, so that I will never have to stop completely. Mm. And, you know, eventually I took periods of time off. I tried to moderate. I fa kept failing at that. I kept deciding I was not going to drink, you know, we're talking about dry January for the month of January and I'd make it four days. Or I'd make it 14 days and decide this goal was really stupid and unimportant. And it had been a bad day, good day, you name it. And I would open a bottle of wine. So I eventually, after trying to moderate for a really long time, hired a sober coach right before I turned 40 and started a 100-day challenge. But this time with someone to talk to, with someone to sort of tell me what to expect and give me tips and tricks and kind of hold my hand through the my first date night and my first dinner party. And my first time I like had a horrible day at work with my boss. 
And that was six and a half years ago. And now I haven't had a drink. I've been alcohol-free for over six years and decided after two or three years alcohol-free that like I didn't want to be in corporate America anymore. And it stressed me out. And I really didn't care about Mm -hmm. the profit margins from Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And so I went back to coaching school and became a life and sobriety coach. Mm. How powerful to have been through the process and to be so inspired by the process. In that journey, did you ever identify your like as an alcoholic or just someone who had a relationship with alcohol that seemed hard to manage? Like, what was your experience with that? I think that, you know, back when I started, it has come so far. And I know today we're going to talk about dry January. We're going to talk about the sober curious movement and it, the universe of people deciding that alcohol is no longer working in their lives is so different than it was when I first was scared about my drinking a decade ago. Back then, when I was like, I don't know, 34, 35, it was really a binary choice. I didn't know a single person who loved to drink like I did who had stopped drinking. And I used to go into work debating with a hangover, like, am I a quote unquote alcoholic or do I just abuse alcohol? Because if I just abuse it, that's good news. I can stop doing that, right? I can just get it in check. And I think the label of alcoholic kept me stuck for a very long time drinking Mm. when it wasn't working for me because I desperately did not want to be in that category, right? That was the nightmare because there's so much stigma, unless it is powerful to you, unless it helps you make this black and white, there is a lot of stigma out there around that label. And by the way, that is not a medical label. That label does not exist outside of a 12-step program or popular culture. It's called alcohol use disorder that is mild, moderate, and severe, you know? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so... Yes, I did wonder and worry for a long time if I was a quote-unquote alcoholic. I did at one point when I was trying to stop drinking, go to AA because someone invited me to a meeting and said it was fabulous and said I would love it. I sort of at the time was like, well, check this off the bucket list. This is something Mm -hmm. I'd never do in my entire life. And I went for four months. The people I met there were incredibly lovely. And I really didn't jive with the program. I really didn't jive with the mindset. I didn't like the label. I didn't like a whole lot of the dogma that was created 80 years ago by two white Christian men. The program itself hasn't changed since like the 1930s. So it wasn't for me. And it took a couple more years till I found an approach that worked for me. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 
35 different meal choices and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Hey friends, as a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I want to tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season. And this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky, and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP?, it offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. And it's so interesting. I never really considered until I asked that question and you shared like all the things that get in the way, like all the stories we tell ourselves or our inner mischief maker really tells ourselves about, well, we don't need to do that because we're not that person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just with whatever it is that we're navigating, right? I find that so interesting and I appreciate you sharing. And I really also appreciate you, you know, specifically speaking for yourself, right? Because there are people that find a lot of of use there too. And I love that. I love, you know, and even, I mean, we're not talking about religion today, but like even the fact that everybody gets to pick something that speaks to them, that makes sense to them. And I think that that, you know, whether it's parenting, as long as we're doing no harm to ourselves or others. You know, more power to you. Yeah. And I have to say, I have so many friends in the program. I know so many people who absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And that is awesome. I am completely speaking from my own personal experience. And I think the beauty now is, you know, there are so many different ways to remove alcohol from your life with community support, with guidance if you need it, not doing it on your own white knuckling it. And, you know, these days people call it like a patchwork of Mm. it can be yoga, it can be meditation, it can be a sober coach, it can be an online group, it can be, you know, deciding that it's a health choice, like becoming a vegetarian. I mean, there is an entire universe of ways 
to remove alcohol from your life without a label. Yeah. And also like it really highlights your story that there's a lot of, you know, we grab so much of our identity, especially for those of us. I mean, I imagine that anyone who's possibly drinking too much in their 30s and 40s probably started in their teens or early 20s, right? And that's, you know, that's a a long history. It's a long relationship with a substance. And I can feel the fear of considering that maybe this is something I need to give up. And then who am I without it? I imagine that those were all questions that you asked. Yeah. And looking back, by the way, the one thing I will tell people who are questioning their relationship with alcohol is it's a big mistake to say maybe this is something I need to give up, like stop Mm -hmm. forever, because that's like going on three dates and somehow telling yourself that you have to decide right at this minute if you're going to marry this person. If not, it's over and you might as well never see them again. Right. So try it out as an experiment you know, see how you feel without it. See what you just, it's truly a very tender time of Mm self-discovery and see how your interactions change. And, you know, trust me, if you go hundred days alcohol free, like the wine will be there. If you decide that you liked your life better before a lot Mm -hmm. of people do that, do some work and are like, wow, that was a, that was kind of a crappy Mm trade-off. I actually like my life better without it. Well, what's the history of dry January? It's actually super simple. The idea is you steer clear of alcohol for the entire month of January. And the concept originated actually in the UK back in 2013. So nine years ago, um, when a nonprofit group called Alcohol Change UK started the movement, the goal was to raise money for alcohol abuse, awareness and treatment. And the trend over the years has just caught on around the globe. It's a great time. A lot of people think of it as like a detox, a reset from, Mm -hmm. you know, all of the drinking we tend to do around the holidays, New Year's, Christmas, Hanukkah, Thanksgiving, you know, whatever it is, eating and drinking. And it's a time of New Year's resolutions. But the cool thing about dry January is if you choose to do it, You are not alone. Last year in the U.S., one in five adults participated in dry January. And it's been growing every single year. I mean, that is a huge percentage of people if you think about the number of people you know in the workplace, in your Mm -hmm. life. So whereas normally if you tell someone, if you're in a big drinking group, like, yeah, I'm not drinking, you might get some questions or some pushbacks. And I have strategies to deal with all of that. But in Dry January, a lot of people are going to say me too. Yeah. You know, I've had a variety of times where I've been dry, been sober. I don't drink too much. I did a whole year as I went through a program, a coaching program that I did where I abstained. And you see it, like I've seen it come up a lot recently in social media, just the normalization that everybody drinks, right? And showing up to gatherings or showing up to playdates or showing up, you know, and it's assumed that everybody's going to drink. And then when you're not drinking, it's almost as if, you know, there's a trigger for the other person, like, oh, so there's something wrong with me. Like there's this defensiveness that can show up. And Oh God, yeah. Or they immediately start telling you, well, I don't, you know, they're holding a giant, I don't have a problem. I I (laughs) 
different too, or yeah. I could never <sighs> do that or dear God, why? You know, I mean, there is so much there and it is really changing. I mean, the Washington Post is writing articles like, is the sober curious trend here to stay? And like Vogue UK posted an article titled, has everyone stopped drinking? So it is shifting. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is the populations that drink the most are Gen X and baby boomers. Gen Z and millennials are drinking so much less than mm-hmm. their parents and grandparents. And I'm raising my hand as a Gen Xer yeah, who, you know, grew up in the era of sex in the city and all the messages that drinking is required, fun, a signifier of the type of woman you are, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, man, I was a binge drinker. There was no like, I just enjoy alcohol. It was like, I mean, I was a disaster <laughs> in college. So what are the numbers telling us about who, beyond Gen X and boomers, like who is consuming alcohol on a regular basis? Well, it's been really interesting over the past three years and the pandemic really shifted things. So alcohol consumption among women has been rising over the last 20 years. I mean, we have suddenly gotten on parity with men in terms of alcohol consumed. Interestingly, our bodies are very different from men, so it it impacts us in a very different way. But then during the pandemic, it ramped up even more, especially among women and parents of small children. So during 2020, women increased their heavy drinking days by 41%. And then we were already drinking a lot. Mm-hmm. And the highest growth in heavy drinking was among parents with children under the age of five. They ramped up their drinking over 300%. So, you know, I was a bottle of wine a night girl. I am not alone. There are so many women out there who are doing that and also worried about their drinking. On the other hand, millennials, so consumed less, and then Gen Z consumed even less. So just for example, 72% of boomers consumed alcohol in the last month, 64% of Gen X, 53% of millennials, and significantly less of Gen Z. In Gen Z and millennials, they're saying they'd rather go to the gym for an hour than the bar. 70% of Gen Z says they find heavy drinking culture boring which Hmm. compared to boomers and Gen Xers, I mean, we are in most of us to the heavy drinking culture. And so it's really shifting. And the interesting thing is that you can see it in the market, right? The market for non-alcoholic beverages is off the charts in terms of growth. You can now find 0.0, yes, Heineken, but also Corona, also a Guinness Stout, also mm-hmm. incredible non-alcoholic craft breweries that are really good. Literally, you cannot, you know, this is not O'Doul's or <laughs> in my opinion, kind of crap beer, but there's also wine and spirits and all the things. So mm-hmm. the market is taking notice, which is very cool. And that's driven by what people Consumers. are buying, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and I want to pause for a second 
Casey. And I just want to talk directly to the listeners, Mm -hmm. especially those of you that are listening right now and maybe feeling a little uncomfortable with this conversation, right? Maybe we are tapping on something for you right now. And I just want to acknowledge that. And I just want to invite you to stay open and stay curious and be willing to hang in there with us as we continue this conversation, because it is an important conversation. And considering those numbers, you know, I'm guessing that most of my audience is Gen X, which means, you know, 60% of them are alcohol consumers. So just have an open mind, hang in there, right? Nobody's being judged here. We're having a conversation. We're having a conversation. And parenting is fucking exhausting. Yes. Right. And they're, you know, yes, I get it. The parents of the young kids, but man, I mean, teenage years, it's no joke. And there are so many moments of like, I need to just shut this down. I need to shut this out. I need to just take a break. And alcohol is one of many easy ways. Easy. It is easy. It is the easy button. Yeah. And so it can feel like for you, like a couple glasses of wine takes the edge off, but what's happening in our bodies? Oh my gosh. When we're using every day like that. Well, the thing is, and the Huberman Lab podcast, which is a huge science-based podcast, just did a really interesting episode on alcohol in the body. And you often hear, and we believe that alcohol has a negative effect on your body if you are a quote unquote heavy drinker, right? Everybody's like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah those people, you know, are going to have liver Mm -hmm. damage and all this stuff. But alcohol, including within the quote unquote recommended guidelines of one drink a day for women, two for men, seven drinks a week, has really pronounced and negative impacts on your body, physical health and mental health. And the reason I love the Huberman podcast was because it wasn't about the health impacts on heavy drinkers. I mean, he literally dug into you know, you drink a glass of wine a night or a couple times a week, right? Which is within the recommended guidelines. So alcohol is interesting. It is both a depressant and it's a stimulant, right? And so those things work in concert. So there is a reason you come home and you have a glass of wine and you sort of relax, right? It's actually slowing your responses to stimulus. It is slowing down your body. And sometimes we think that alcohol gives us energy, right? You are exhausted. You went to work all day or you dealt with kids all day. It's suddenly the evening. You have sort of the second shift and drinking can give you energy because it immediately spikes your dopamine really high. Hmm. And when you drink, even within sort of what's considered a moderate level, you spike your dopamine really high and your body wants to regulate that dopamine level. So your body is on its own lowering your natural level of dopamine and dopamine is known as sort of your happy chemical in your brain. So alcohol is addictive in the same way that cigarettes are. I mean, it just is. So that when the alcohol comes out of your body, you're going into physical withdrawal. And you need sort of that substance to get back to feeling good again. And that's Mm -hmm. why a lot of people wake up at 3 a.m. because it's a depressant. Some people think it helps you fall asleep. I know I did. And then you wake up at 3 a.m. when the alcohol leaves your body because someone described it to me. 
as driving through mud, right? You're driving along pavement, you hit mud, you slow down, and then you put on the gas to maintain your speed. And when you shoot out of the mud, you're going really fast. And that's like what alcohol does to your body. It leaves your system, suddenly your nervous system, your mind, you wake up at 3 a.m., you can't go back to sleep. So it's doing things to your body, regardless of if you drink in moderate amounts. So mm-hmm. it spikes your dopamine, which makes you bring down your natural level of your happy chemical. So it is not your imagination that you are more irritated and less content and less peaceful when you're not drinking. That's because of the substance, not because you're not drinking. It spikes your cortisol and that stays in your body for days, right? So you are actually more anxious Mm -hmm. when you're not drinking, but that's caused by the drinking. And you're more anxious and less happy than you would be if you consume zero alcohol. It also really disrupts your sleep. And by the way, I kind of sort of knew this for years and I kept drinking because in my mind, the benefits outweighed these minor inconveniences. But even less than a drink for women disrupts or decreases your sleep quality by 9%. If mm-hmm. you have a single drink, it decreases your sleep quality by 24%. And anything over a drink for women, you will sleep worse by 40%, right? Yeah. And I mean, sleep Yeah. Right. Like I've done interviews with people about sleep and, you know, we have conversations about sleep over here all the time. And, you know, there's so many layers here, right? Alcohol is a depressant. Well, sleep deprivation is a depressant, right? It's like this hamster wheel of dynamics that comes into play. And then I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking about the young kids being present for our young kids, but also being present for our teens. You never know when they're going to show up and be like, I got to talk to you about something. Yeah. Right. And when I hear that from my kids, that's the line. I got to tell you something that I know I need to just lock in. I need to feel my feet on the floor. I need to bring my full presence, my full awareness. I need to be truly available to them. And like emotionally even, right? Yeah, exactly. Because if they're saying I need to tell you something that I know like something's coming, that's going to require me to use my self-regulation tools. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> it. Self-regulation. You are less present when you're drinking. And I know that was the case for me a hundred percent. But also when you stop drinking, like you will have more energy, you'll sleep better, you'll be less anxious. You also like will look better hundred mm-hmm. percent, right? Your mm-hmm. face is less bloated alcohol is a diuretic, your skin will be so much less dry, so much more vibrant, your eyes look better, you might lose weight, like alcohol is toxic in your body. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you consume any alcohol, your body wants to get rid of it before it does anything else. And one alcoholic drink is somewhere between 150 and 200 calories. Mm -hmm. My non-alcoholic beers, which I absolutely love, and they taste exactly the same, are like, 30, 45 calories. Mm -hmm. Well, and my husband, he stopped drinking in the fall of 2017. And we were just really transparent. Our kids, you know, at the time were 15 and 12. And it was all on the table. I mean, we talk about that. And I love that he got to be a model for them of what it looks like in our household. You know, as far as the drinking goes is 
not a place where the adults are normalizing that this is something that grownups do all the time. And I'm really grateful for that. What do you think is the biggest obstacle for parents who want to take a break or give it up? I just think that the way alcohol has been marketed to us for so long that we have truly absorbed and believed that it is fun and relaxing and a tool of connection and you're missing out or you will not be part of the crowd or have less fun if you don't drink. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a lot of the reasons it's difficult when you want to take a break are your own limiting beliefs about either what people will think of you or, you know, will you have any fun? Will you be bored and boring? So I think that's a big obstacle. And I have to tell you, it is completely untrue. So if you're listening to this in January, it is an amazing time to take a break because so many people are doing it. And you will find that, you know, just drinking as your main, you know, honestly, it becomes a hobby is actually keeping your world pretty small. And that Mm -hmm. there are so many more exciting things you can do when you have more time and money and energy than you did when you were drinking. But that takes some experimentation. I think the other thing is habit change. I mean, drinking is just a habit and any habit or behavioral change is hard, but also alcohol is all around us. I mean, you Mm -hmm. go to a restaurant, first thing they do is bring you the drinks menu or the wine Mm -hmm. list. And so it's hard to change a habit when it's so physically and socially present in your life, but it can be done. Yeah, it definitely can be done. One of the hacks that I used was when I'd go out to see music. That's if I'm going out, I'm going out to see music and typically drinking. And when I'm not drinking, I always ask for like a ginger ale or a soda water or something. And I ask them to put it in a cocktail glass and give it some limes so that what is in my hand to anybody looking over is a cocktail. So I can just avoid the conversations around, not because I can't handle them, but just because they're tiring. I don't want to explain myself, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great strategy. And there are so many options. You know, I always, a friend of mine, Janie Lee Grace, who hosts a podcast, Alcohol Free Life, she always says, keep the ritual, change the ingredients. Mm. And you can still do all of the things you love to do and choose to have a different beverage and wake up without a headache and drive home safely and have an incredible night and actually feel that natural high, not the manufactured one. Yeah, I love that. Keep the ritual, change the ingredients. So talk about the sober curious movement. Yeah. I didn't realize it was a movement. It is a movement. And if you look at any newspapers and publications, including the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and, you know, Vogue and Cosmo and Self, like they are talking about the sober curious movement. And so what it is, is a real shift in the last 10 years, maybe really the last four or five years from what we used to believe life without alcohol would be like. So Alcohol intake used to be thought of as like a binary choice. You drink alcohol or you drink water. And the only people who choose not to drink alcohol are those who, quote unquote, have a real problem with it 
or people who don't do it for religious reasons or a very small minority of of other reasons. The idea was that sobriety was complete abstinence too. And it's because you had an alcohol use disorder. And so what the phrase sober curious was actually coined in a book in 2018 by Ruby Warrington. And her book was Sober Curious, The Blissful Sleep, Greater Focus and Limitless Presence and Deep Connection Awaiting Us on the Other Side of Alcohol. Mm. And the idea is now that you can and people do experiment with an alcohol-free lifestyle without the pressure to give alcohol up completely. So it's sort of, you can think of it as an extension of dry January as saying, okay, let's take the pressure off deciding to drink or not drink. I'm sober curious. Let's look at and observe why we drink and the choices we make and how it's working for us and how we physically feel afterwards and all that kind of stuff. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It. So you shared your story. So what do you say to people that are having the experience of, okay, I'm going to try this sober curious thing. And they get to day four or day five and they realize, oh, this is hard, you know, quickly followed perhaps by, I don't want to do this. This is dumb, right? We go quickly from this is hard to, well, this is just stupid. Yeah. How do you support your clients when they're in that? Because that's a big, that's kind of this precipice, right? It's kind of the spot. Yeah. I mean, I would say that if you are doing four days and then saying, forget this, I want to drink. I need a drink. This is too hard. You are doing the hardest part 
over and over again. I mean, people will say to me, well, I feel worse. Like I'm a less relaxed mom and I'm nicer when I drink. I'm less Mm -hmm. irritated. And that reinforces the, it helps me. The truth is that you are in physical alcohol withdrawal and you are irritated. That is true. And it's because of the alcohol. It's not because you're not drinking. So I have a 30-day guide on my website that really, it's completely free. 30 tips for your first 30 days. And it walks you through how to stop thinking about this as deprivation or a punishment, how to think of this as an experiment and an empowering choice to actually care for yourself for the first time in a long time, not hit the easy button of let me numb myself out or artificially Mm -hmm. manipulate my body and my brain so that I don't have to deal with how I really feel. So it tells you what to do and what to expect on day four and day five and that. your first weekend. And the truth is, of course, you're going to want to drink on day four, but you can do other things that will help you get to feeling better. And it gets so much easier. And it, you know, once, once you get closer to 30 days, you have a better sort of baseline of like, okay, here's my regular level of contentment. Here is my regular, I mean, sober sleep is incredible. Like Mm -hmm. people are like, oh my God, this is better than sex. How did I not know? You know? (laughs) Right, right, right. Because we convince ourselves that sleep is just shitty, right? right? I mean, if that's our lifestyle, then everything that comes with it just becomes so normal. Yeah. And I love love that you have this 30-day thing. I did the whole 30 thing. One time, one time. Yeah. And what I loved that it came with was this calendar that did just that. It kind of mapped out because, you know, you give up sugar, similar to alcohol, right? And your whole body is like, what's happening? And so where, I don't know where we got it from, probably the gal that wrote the program, but there was a whole 30-day map, really, of this is how you're going to feel the first week. And then you're going to feel like this, and it's going to be so great. And then you're going to plateau, and you'll be like, meh. And then, so I, I love that what you've created walks people through that as well and prompts them with tips and suggestions. And I'm guessing probably some good inner prompts for kind of some inner discovery. I mean, it's everything from what to buy at the grocery store, when to eat, you know, because hunger is a huge trigger. Dropping Mm -hmm. blood sugar is a huge trigger. Alcohol has so much sugar in it. So Mm -hmm. you are going to crave sugar when you first give up alcohol. And so I don't actually, I mean, trust me, I went on health kicks and nutrition kicks a million times, you know, As, so that uh, I you're have, normal, <laughs> remove alcohol, right? But you do not want to go into calorie deficits, sugar withdrawal and alcohol withdrawal at the same time, because it's mm-hmm. just too hard. And the other thing that's, you know, so I'm like, eat the peanut M&M's. If you're giving up this really addictive substance that has a ton mm-hmm. of sugar in it, it will not last, but it will help you get through that day four. Right. And you're going to be really tired when you stop drinking. Your body is recovering and resetting mm-hmm. itself. But like, I now need to check out that 30-day map because you're going to feel better than you have in years. Yeah. How long does it take for the body to recover? I would say, I mean, I've interviewed scientists and authors and everything else. I would say 30 days till your dopamine really resets to like Mm -hmm. your normal level. I mean, for me, it was day 12 when I first had my night of amazing sleep. 
you will feel less anxious probably three weeks into it. Mm -hmm. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, drinking and alcohol is physical, but it's also so emotional and mental and tied to your identity and tied Mm -hmm. to your perceptions of what is fun. And so it really is this tender transformational time. If you do it right, this period Mm -hmm. of discovery and like all these aha ideas of, oh my God, this is a reason I drank. And that's a reason I drank. And Mm -hmm. I thought that this would suck, but it didn't. And I Mm -hmm. thought that this would be hard. And it was. And my favorite is people are like, it'll be no fun if I don't drink. And I'm like, okay, here's the question. Is it just not fun? Is it that you actually don't want to do this or don't like these people? And a lot of times they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's information, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. What are your favorite resources? I mean, you are a fabulous resource in your podcast and what you're creating for people. What are some other resources that you leaned on in your journey? I think it's really important to find an approach that resonates with you, whatever that is, you know, because this should really, if you do it right, feel good and not like you are not a 16 year old who got your car keys taken away. So there are resources and books and approaches out there for every single person and what, you know, what appeals to you. So one of my favorite things is, is there's a whole genre called Quitlet, right? Which is kind of like Chicklet, but it's for women quitting drinking. I actually have a whole free guide on my website and a podcast episode on the best Quitlet for women. We can link to that. And I've interviewed so many authors, but depending on whether the fact-based information on what alcohol does to your body is resonates with you and your mind, you know, there are books like Alcohol Explained by William Porter or This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Yeah. One of my family members actually did not resonate with AA and I got that book for him, The Naked Mind. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and every time I, not every time I see him, but on multiple occasions, he has said this was, this spoke to me in a way that, you know, 60 years of drinking, nothing has ever spoken to me. I think it's The Naked Mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fabulous book. I mean, there are books like The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober by Catherine Mm -hmm. Gray. That's just incredibly good. One that resonated with me there were two. One was Tired of Thinking About Drinking, actually written by my sober coach, Belle Robertson. And it was just so practical and kind and, you know, never uses any labels other than like, well, the people who like to drink and boozers like us and, you know, just no labels. I also loved The Sober Diaries by Claire Pooley. She used to be high up in advertising. She's British. She's really funny. She stopped drinking when she had younger kids, three of them. And, you know, she didn't hit a big bottom. If you want the scary memoirs, they are out there. But there are a lot of memoirs and books with this kinder, gentler approach that are really wonderful. Also, there's a book, Not Drinking Tonight by Amanda E. White. She's a therapist for women and a millennial, but goes into not only her personal story, but case studies of other women at different ages Mm -hmm. 
as well as anxiety and perfectionism and body image and all, you know, the society we're raised in and how women are conditioned, boundaries, all these things that are sort of the underlying reason that drinking works for us in the first place. And so if you're interested, go to my website, the guide, the podcast, because there is a wealth of different approaches. And I promise you, you're going to find one that feels good to you. Awesome. And listeners, you know that we'll have the link to, well, why don't you tell us what I'm going to ask you where to find you and and follow your work in a minute, but why don't you just because we're on the topic? Yeah. What is your website? My website is hellosomedaycoaching.com. You can find my podcast, the Hello Someday podcast anywhere you Mm -hmm. listen to podcasts. I've got over 130 episodes. So there are lots of things and each one is grouped by topics and ideas of like 20 questions to ask yourself about your drinking strategies for your first week, but also perfectionisms, relationships with narcissists. Casey was on with an incredible episode about parenting teens and tweens and Mm -hmm. healthy coping mechanisms that aren't having a drink because like, trust me, when Casey said no judgment, like I have zero judgment. I was right there and Mm -hmm. um, leading the pack in, oh my God, I need a fucking drink, right? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, as we wrap up, I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation and I know that it's valuable to my community. So thank you. Is there anything else that you want to make sure to leave listeners with today? Or have we covered it? The one thing I would say is you know what your life is like when you're drinking, like the good and the bad, the highlights and the lowlights. And I'm in no way trying to convince you that like you did not have the absolute best time when you went to Italy with your husband and drank the crafts of wine. And aren't you curious to see what you could accomplish and how you might feel and what you could do with your time if you took a longer period of time without alcohol, and I'm not talking, Mm -hmm. I'm only going to drink on the weekends because that, again, you're going through the withdrawal and you're not changing your habits, Mm -hmm. but get curious and excited because, you know, you have decades ahead of you and alcohol really, I mean, has a lot of negative physical and mental health impacts and you're going to feel better without it. Yeah. What does joyful courage mean to you? I love the title of your podcast and I love that question. And for me, it means having the courage to look at what really makes you happy and what isn't working in your life and how you can shift that or change that. Because I think so many of us, or I know I did, was, you know, you sort of look up And you're like, oh my God, I've done everything I've always been supposed to do. I'm getting all this external validation, you know, for my seemingly really lovely life and home and children and how much I volunteer and my job. Why aren't I happy? Is this all there is? And then you think, just put your head down. You're going to get your reward on the next vacation, the next X, Y, Z. And so It took me a long time to be like, all right, is this making me happy? What Mm -hmm. isn't? And like the world will not end if I make some changes in my life. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yay. And then, so we got your website, 
HelloSomedayCoaching.com. Hello Someday Podcast is your show. Where can people find you on socials? Yeah. Instagram. I'm under Casey, C-A-S-E-Y, just like- The right way to spell it. Thank you. M. (laughs) My middle name's McGuire. So M. Davidson. And I'm on Facebook under Hello Someday Podcast. So you can find me there. Yay. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me today. This was so useful and impactful. And I'm excited to hear from the listeners how you felt listening in on Casey and I talking yeah. about this. And, and if you feel this. defensiveness and resistance and then like, oh my God, no, that's okay too. Yeah. That's pretty normal. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening, my friends. Happy New Year. Thank you to the Sproutable team, including Chris Mann at Podshaper for all the support with getting this show out there to you each and every week. If you have questions about this interview or our offers for parents at Sproutable, or you simply want to check in, you can always shoot me an email at Casey at joyfulcourage.com. Don't forget to check out the membership program at besproutable.com slash LJC. I'm really, really, really wanting you to check it in, check it out. It might be exactly what 2023 needs, which is an up-leveling in your focus and your mindset around parenting. Tune back in for our Thursday show later this week, and I'll be back with another interview next Monday. Peace. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.